Good morning, Freedom House. Good to see everybody. You look wonderful today. Look awesome. There's some faith in the house today. Come on, somebody. Y'all are hungry. We're ready to go today. Well, um, I'd encourage you to take some notes today. This is gonna be a uh, in-depth message. We've been in a series on what does the Bible say about. Last week you had Andrew Cedra. I hope you enjoyed him. He has a little bit of energy, just a, a little bit. Uh, somebody told me they felt like they were at a tennis match and going back and forth, and, and, uh, and I thought it was hilarious. And uh, so they are speaking at our South End and our Lake Norman campus and uh, we'll try, they're doing the same messages. I think Nolene is doing a different message than she did on Friday night. Ladies, come on, somebody. <clears throat> I was here. I don't know if you saw me or not, but I was one of the hula dancers. Um, I had a costume on, um, but, you know, if you look real close, you'll be able to see. No, it, I wasn't one of the hula dancers. But what a great night. God moved in a powerful way. It was great to see all those ladies get filled with the Holy Spirit and, and God move in a powerful way. So are you ready today? Hey, we got people from, we got Greece, Peru, Australia, Nigeria, Indiana, Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina, New York, West Virginia, Maryland, New Jersey, Georgia, Tennessee, MI, what? Michigan. I never, I never can get it. I think I need to spend some time studying it. And Florida, come on, let's give it up for all of our live streamers today. So glad to have you. So what does the Bible say about heaven and hell? Heaven and hell. I think we all as Christians need to have a good response to what's going on in the world. Uh, there's a lot of questions about eternity. What's gonna happen next? What, what happens when I die? Um, does it really matter how I live because I'm going to die? All of those are great questions. Now, when it comes to heaven and hell, it's interesting that 66% of people in the world believe in heaven, but only 6% believe in hell. 6%. I think it's a coping me mechanism, actually. I think if you, people think if you ignore something, then it'll just go away. Like, if we just ignore what's going on right now in our world, it'll just kind of go away. It doesn't really affect me, kind of us four, and, uh, you know, and no more. Let me just make sure my family's good. I'll just stick my head in the sand spiritually and not deal with it. Well, heaven and hell, eternity is a very real thing. Matter of fact, you can't believe in heaven and not believe in hell. Now, if you're a non-Christian, uh, we'll make sure by the end of the service that you become a Christian. But... Non-Christians kind of had two different responses to eternity, heaven and hell. The first is an atheistic view. Uh, we were created, you know, lump of cells, and then we became a human being. We evolved, you know, from whatever you want to say you evolved from. And then after you die, you just cease to exist. That would be one way, an atheistic or agnostic view. Um, some Christians... And some non-Christians believe the second thing. It's called universalism. Universalism says that God is good and everybody who is good gets into heaven. Meaning that how in the world would a good God send people to hell? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But understand that good is relative. Because, you know, I mean, I mean we all think we're good. How many of y'all think you're good? Just raise your hand if you think you're good. It's not a trick question. I know you're thinking... Like, he's gonna trick me, isn't he? No, I think I'm a pretty good person. But my good versus Stephanie's good is very different, okay? You know, I don't think 
that you should flip people off when they jump in front of you. (laughs) However, Stephanie (laughs) says it's okay to tell them they're number one. (laughs) I've seen her do it. I was the person who cut her off. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But my point is, is that she may have a way or a process of thinking what's good, and I have kind of a perspective on what is good. However, Jesus was walking down the street one day, and he was having this conversation. This lawyer, this attorney came to him. Attorneys are pretty smart and said, hey, and he asked Jesus the question. He was actually talking about eternity. He said, how may I inherit eternal life? How do I get into heaven? What do I, what do, I do to in, inherit eternal life? And, and he said, good teacher. He called Jesus a good teacher. And, and before Jesus even dealt with the eternity question, he says, why do you call me good? Because no one is good except God. In other words, the standard is God and none of us meet it. Okay, so it has nothing to do with how good you are that will determine whether you get into heaven. Actually, it has to to determine by your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So why even talk about heaven and hell? Why even bring it up? Well, I I believe that, that it is important for us in our life to understand eternity because it changes the way that we think about everything when you have an understanding of eternity. It changes the way that you think about your relationships and how you deal with people because you have influence over the people that you're around, the, the connections you have, your friends that you have, and how you think about heaven and hell, whether you're gonna go there, will determine whether you want to share that and it changes everything. So I thought about the message, like should I, talk about, should I talk about hell first, should I talk about heaven first, or should I talk about heaven first, and then scare the hell out of you? <laughs> I was wondering what I should do. So I'm very intentional on how I'm gonna share this, and then we'll decide as a, as a group how we're gonna do it to the next service, because we know the next service is the party crowd because they get here 11.15. <laughs> so maybe I need to scare the hell out of them, so we'll end with hell. All right, so let's talk, about, let's talk about heaven and hell. Matthew 25, if you wanna follow along, you can uh, look at the screen behind me. Pull out your Bible if you have one. Open your iPhone, whatever you need to do. When, this is Jesus. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about the end of the age. Basically, what's gonna happen in his second coming, okay? Now, we all know that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven after 40 days with the disciples, was the, the clock started in the end times. We began the end times in that moment. So we have been in the end times for the last 2,000 years. And there's a clock that's ticking. Now, nobody knows when Jesus is gonna come back except the Father. So if anybody tells you, I know when Jesus is coming back, they don't know. They might write a book about it, they don't know. There's clues, and Jesus is gonna talk about those clues in this passage, uh, but understand, only the Father knows Jesus doesn't even know when he's gonna come back, okay? So, verse 31, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man, this is talking about Jesus, comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. All the people groups will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep 
from the goats. Okay, so we got two groups of people that are standing before him. All the nations, two groups of people. Sheep on his right hand, verse 33, and goats on his left. Who's on his right? Class, who's on his right? Who's on his left? Goats, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, who's on his right? Say it one more time. Okay. Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, everybody look at me for a second. The point isn't what they did. The point is that they understood the influence of what they did. So because they saw that they were sick and in need and in prison, and because they realized that what they did could open the door for them to influence their eternity, Jesus said, good job. Make sense? So isn't the point that you do something, it's the intention behind what you do that Jesus is talking about right here. And the intention is, you understand eternity, and so you're gonna do everything you can to make sure that as many people are with me as possible. Okay, so now let's keep on going. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, who's on his left? Goats. Sheep on his right, goats on his left. Depart from me. And we're gonna spend all of our time about hell on this Verse 41, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or a prison or when did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so on the left side, they didn't do that to the least of these. In other words, they were selfish. Okay, so the sheep served and the goats were selfish. Now, what's interesting biblically is that you really only get a glimpse of heaven and hell. You don't see a lot about it in the Bible. Jesus talks about it. The Bible references it often, but you only really get a glimpse. Why is that? Why is it that God doesn't talk a lot about heaven and hell if that's our eternity? Because if you think about it, our life here is just but a glimpse. I know it's hard for us to think about that, but in the light of eternity, what we're doing right now is a very small blip in the radar of your future. So why doesn't he spend some more time in eternity? Because we have to have faith. Your life as a believer is built around your faith. You have to have faith. Faith 
it's impossible to please God without faith. And so there's a, always going to be a part, stick with me here, always gonna be a part of your relationship with God that is gonna require faith. There are questions that you're not gonna know the answer to and you gotta have faith. People are gonna die, you're not gonna understand, but you gotta have faith. You're gonna pray prayers and you're not gonna get the answers you want, but you gotta have faith. Are you following me? It's really important to get this, especially if you're new to Christianity, because a lot of times we think, well, if I, if I get with God, you know, and I tithe today, God, why didn't you bless me tomorrow? Like, I tithed yesterday. Where's the lottery? Why didn't I win? I mean, I bought 10 tickets, a tithe of tickets. Listen to me, there will never be anything associated with God that will not require faith at some point. Nothing. And the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus Christ will require more faith on your part. So that's why you go through tests. Faith comes by hearing, but grows through testing. So the problems you're facing right now, God knows you can get through them. He just wants you to realize that you have enough faith to get through them. So it always requires faith. So when you think about hell and heaven, there's a part of faith. So let's talk about hell, glimpse of hell. Verse 41 mentions that, that, that we are, this whole process or understanding of faith. Now, I don't usually recommend movies in church, especially R-rated movies. Pastor Aaron always wants me to go with him. I say, no, I don't go R-rated movies. I'm more of a PG guy, and he's like, but you'll like it, it's just violence. I'm like, come on, Aaron. But there's a movie out, I think you can watch it on uh, streaming right now, called Nefarious. It's a phenomenal movie. The whole movie is about, and I would encourage every Christian to watch it, and then to determine based on the age of your children after you watch it, whether they should watch it, because I do think teenagers need to see what's going on because it's a great picture of what's happening in the world right now, kind of behind the veil spiritually, okay? So it's about a, a man who is on death row and he is supposed to be um, electrocuted and a psychiatrist comes and interview, uh, interviews him because he's determining whether he is mentally fit to actually be electrocuted, to be executed, okay? And so, so he, there's this dialogue. now. The issue really is, is that this man is demon-possessed by a demon called Nefarious. Now, how many of y'all ever read or listened to the Screwtape Letters by uh, C.S. Lewis? Raise your hand if you ever did it. Now, it's a, it, it's a modern-day take on the Screwtape Letters. I'd encourage you to listen to the Screwtape Letters before you watch the movie Nefarious. So it's a great listen. It's a great read, but I think a listen's better to the screw tape letters. Now, here's, let me just throw this in there because I preached this message last weekend in Iowa. Crazy story. Because I'm gonna show you a clip here in just a second of the movie because he talks about hell and kind of the ramifications of it. So last week, I'm preaching this message. In between the services, the executive pastor comes to me and says, hey, I just wanna let you know the writer and the director of the movie is in the congregation. So I stole a clip <laughs> from a movie 
and the writer and the director was in the congregation. That's your pastor right there. That is your pastor. Isn't that great? He was happy. He was fine with it. So we're going to talk about hell. So watch this clip right here. Is hell a state of being or a, or a physical place? Yes. I think I meant that as an either or. It's both. Which is painfully obvious to anyone who's ever been there. For years without measure, that's all there ever was. Heaven and hell. Armed enemy camps in complete opposition. That is until you were created. My master immediately understood the long-term implications. Instead of forgiving us, the enemy was going to allow you to fill our vacant places in his realm. Your creation was nothing but a slap in our face. But my master also understood that if he could make man disobey, then his fate would mirror ours. And you didn't disappoint. Then came the tares among the wheat. In that moment, spirit became matter, flesh became a vessel. Self-will and self-seeking began a lusting after sin and impurity. And man, created to be king over nature, became its slave. A master, conquered and fettered. And sin brought him and his descendants to us. And we began our forever mission to destroy you. He made you in his image, but we remade you in ours. Powerful, huh? So a glimpse of help. Jesus said to those on the left hand, he said, depart from me. The word depart means to proceed, travel, walk. One translation says, die from me. Now you may remember when when God told Adam in the garden, hey, you can enjoy everything except don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat of that tree, lest you surely what? Die. The word die means to cease to exist. When we disobey God constantly and without conviction, then the Bible says that we cease to exist in his eye. He can't connect with the sin. And so when you think about hell, first and foremost, understand that hell, listen, is the absence of God, the complete absence of God. Now, it's hard for us to even think about this because no matter where we go on this planet, God is there. Why? Because you're there. The presence of God is, lives on the inside of you. So no matter what place you enter into, no matter how dark, how uh, how demon-inspired, uh, wherever you go, you carry the presence of God. My first missions trip was to the country of Haiti. Now, I'd never been overseas before, never been out of the country before. And I'll never forget, the pastor landed the plane and he plopped the door open and he said, welcome to hell. And I'd never experienced oppression like I felt in Haiti. As soon as he dropped the door, the smell, the stench, the heat, but also the spiritual oppression was more than I could ever bear. However, that's nothing close to the absence of God. 
So God is omnipresent here, but in hell, he's not present at all, which means that all the attributes of God are not present in hell. What do you mean? Well, God is light, light. In hell, there is no light. It's complete darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but um, complete darkness is you can't even see the hand before you. It's a felt kind of darkness. Imagine eternity like that. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Secondly, God is life. In hell, there is no life. Why? Because in God, there was life. There is life. Meaning, in hell, it's all death and decay and corruption. God is love. In hell, there is no love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. What are the attributes of love? Care and concern and kindness and patience. In hell, there is none of that. It's only hate and ambiguity and indifference and coldness. God is good, but in hell, there is no goodness at all. The Bible says in Psalms 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. God is merciful, but in hell there is no mercy, no compassion, no forgiveness. Lamentations 3 says, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. You know, we wake up every morning to new mercies. In hell, there is no mourning and there is no mercy. God is strength. He gives us strength, but in hell, there is no strength. It is God who arms me with strength, the Bible says in Psalms 18. God is peace, but in hell, there is no peace. Only chaos and agitation and distress and irritation and war for eternity. Secondly, hell is a place of cursing. Jesus said, depart from me, you cursed. One translation says, you are under a curse. One translation says, you are good for nothing. The NIV says, you are cursed with a curse. The word cursed means to be unproductive, worthless, powerless, invalid, no value. Hell is a place of no value, no purpose, and no worth. Hell is everlasting fire. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. The word hell in the New Testament is translated from the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna is a real place. Right outside of Jerusalem is a place called Gehenna. And I've seen pictures of it. I've never been there myself, but uh, there's a fire, I mean, smoke coming up from this place called Gehenna because it's constantly burning. It's a trash heap. Old Testament, Gehenna was called the Valley of Hinnom where the Amorites and the Canaanites would worship their false god, Molech. Molech was a gold figure, an idol with his hands out like this, and there was fire all around them, and the people that worshiped to him would take their babies and put them on the hands of the god. And because the hands were so hot from the fire underneath, the babies would shimmer off and fall into the fire as a sacrifice. Hell is a place of eternal fire, unquenchable fire, which means judgment forever. 
Lastly, he says to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, hell was never for us. Hell was never intended for you and me. It was reserved for the devil and his angels. See, understand, Lucifer was one of three archangels in heaven. There was Gabriel, the messenger angel. There was Michael, the warring angel. These were like generals, five-star generals with God. And then Lucifer, he was the angel that covered or the worshiping angel. He was a worship leader, skinny jeans and a beard. <laughs> and so he, he was actually made of an instrument. This is why music is so powerful is because the devil uses the very thing that he was created to do to try to pull people away. I mean, you see, you see attacks through music all the time. You gotta be careful what you listen to. And so Lucifer watched as God got all the glory. And the Bible tells us that he was like, why are you getting all the praise? I should get some of that. Because he was around the throne room of God. So he was there watching the angels worship God. And he's like, why, why? I should be getting this. So I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt myself. And so pride entered into Lucifer and God kicked him out of heaven. But on his way out, through his lies, the Bible says, he carried with him a third of the angels. And those third of the angels became the demons that we fight and battle on a daily basis, like lust and pornography and addiction and hate and racism. All those are demons that Lucifer, who became Satan, took out of heaven. And in the end, that is his home, hell. It's never destined for us. Never supposed to be a place where we go. So there is another option. It's called heaven. So let's get a glimpse of heaven. Let's end with the good today. And we just get a glimpse of it. Now the world makes heaven look boring and hell look exciting. Right? They make heaven like we're just gonna be on a cloud. We'll be fat little babies with wings. Pring, pring. That's what, that's what they think heaven. And hell is a big party, right? With Bud Light. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> I had to do that. Just, But that's, we just learned, very, and I just gave you just a little bit. I could spend the entire service talking about hell. But that's not what hell is like. It's not a big party. No, heaven is wonderful. It's a beautiful place. We won't be on clouds, you know. Uh, yes, we'll be worshiping God, but we'll also be learning and connecting and spending time with him. See, our view of heaven will determine the significance of our life right here on the earth. Because when you see through an eternal lens, things really do begin to change the way you see things. You look at people differently. You look at your relationships differently when you think eternally because then, then you start understanding that God put you in someone's life to affect their eternity, to change their destination. You start to look at those relationships and then you decide who should you let in and who should you maybe give the gift of goodbye to. Secondly, you know, money is different when you think eternally. Money doesn't become something you just wanna 
hoard for yourself. Now you start to look at it as a resource to affect people's eternity. It changes the way you think. When you understand heaven, man, it changes the way you think. When you understand hell, it changes the way you think. Church is different. Church isn't just a hour and 15 minutes if you're on time. Of Sunday morning, check it off the box, Monday through Saturday, I can live however I want. No, church becomes a force. I'm a part of the greatest movement that has ever existed on the planet. I can change the world through my worship, my prayer, and my connection with community. I need people around me so we can change things. Are you with me? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Family's different because we see it as legacy. See, if you're miserable here on earth, you don't have a good grasp of heaven. So here's what Jesus says, just a little bit about heaven. In John 14, verse one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. See, this is earth, where we are, our life right now, we're just pilgrims passing through. We're just passing through. Because we have a reservation in heaven, 1 Peter chapter one. Our names are written in heaven, Luke chapter 10. We are citizens of heaven, Philippians chapter three. So first, heaven is a place. It's a real place. It's not just metaphor. It's a real place. And it's actually where God lives. Now, this is what's interesting. Because when Solomon was building the temple, the Bible says that Solomon said, God, I'm building this temple, but you are way too big, you won't fit. And we know that the Bible says that God is bigger than the universe. And we're discovering every day how big the universe is. So how can God in his magnificence fit into heaven? Well, that's where it gets a little bit challenging for our minds. I can't say that I figured it out. All I can say is that God is multidimensional and he can fit in places that you and I don't think he can fit. And heaven is where he lives. It is his place. Isaiah 63 says, Lord, look down from heaven, lo, from your holy, glorious home and see us. Isaiah 57, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place. Heaven will be a lot like earth, except better. Way better. You have trees and things and stuff and people will be able to walk around, but yet we can think and we'll be somewhere. We can spend time with God unobstructed. The Bible says heaven is a great city. Revelations describes this 1,500 square mile cube that's gonna come down out of heaven and attach itself to the earth. John is on this island and he's having this revelation of heaven. And we see that it's a a beautiful place. Now, here's where, where it gets kind of tricky because John lived 2,000 years ago and so his exposure was very limited And so when he's describing things in the book of Revelation, he's describing them based on his exposure. He didn't have the internet. 
He didn't have pictures. He didn't have a camera. He didn't have an iPhone. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? And so, so, so when he sees heaven, he sees this place, he says, it looks, I see the gate and it looks like one pearl because that's his exposure. So for him, the gate looked like a pearl. Do you think it was a real pearl? Personally, I don't really think it was because God, why would God use in his infinite wisdom and his infinite magnificent, use something that he created for earth for heaven? It's probably way better than a pearl. But for John, that's what it looked like. Are you following me? So don't get caught up in what John saw. Get caught up on what John experienced in the moment. He said the walls were made of, and he describes all these jewels. Now, do you think they were all really the jewels, jasper and diamonds and this, that, and the other? Maybe, probably not. Really doesn't matter. He said, I saw streets, and they were made of gold. Do you think they were really gold? Probably better than gold. But for John and his exposure, that's what it looked like to him. Are you following me? And so when you start reading the book of Revelation, you understand, oh, okay, now I get it. He didn't have, he couldn't Google, what does that look like? He just had limited exposure. Heaven is father's, is the father's house. It's a paternal place. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. A place where his kids can come and hang out with dad. I didn't have a dad growing up. My dad was kind of in and out of my life. So my grandfather kind of took his place. And I would go to my grandfather's house, my grandfather, my grandmother, all the time. Like every weekend, they would take me to their house. And I loved my grandparents' house. I felt safe when I walked in the house. It wasn't always like the cleanest place. I'm not saying that it wasn't clean, but the pantries were always full. Matter of fact, even today, like sometimes I'll get a smell and it'll take me back to walking through my grandparents' house. What is your point? My point is, is that the father's house is a place of confidence and security and safety. And that's what heaven will feel like. It'll feel safe. It'll always feel secure. You'll always be confident and valued and worthy. You'll feel this this paternal connection. My kids come over to my house. They don't come through the front door. They don't knock ever. They just walk right in. I tell them it's dangerous now. I said, you don't know what you may be walking into. You know, I don't have a naked room. I have a naked house. Heaven is the father's house. Heaven is sin free. Just think about this for a second. It's flesh free. In other words, all the distractions you have towards God will be non-existent. All of those things that carry you away so quickly from attention to God will go away. All of the hindrances between us and our relationship with God will be non-existent. That's what heaven will be like. We'll be in perfect communion with God. That's what heaven is. So here's the big question. Matter of fact, Jesus called it a paradise. And Jesus lived there and he called it a paradise. So here's the big question. Why would God create heaven and hell? It's a valid question. 
Why don't you just create heaven and just deal with us? The Bible says in Romans 1, I'm almost done. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He goes on to say in chapter 11, verse 22, follow me. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. In other words, heaven and hell are the two sides of God we have to understand. We see the character of God expressed in both heaven and hell. God is good, but God is just. God is love and God is holy. God is kind and God is severe. Heaven is God's goodness expressed. Hell is God's wrath expressed. See, God's wrath is not tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and tsunamis. No, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross for you and me. One time and one time alone. We get caught up in, well, you know, God's pouring out his judgment. No, he's already poured out his judgment. No, what happens when we see those things is God is not involved because he can't be involved in sin. So God's wrath is not that. So why does evil exist? Great question. Did God create it? Absolutely not. But he gave you a gift. I believe it's the most powerful gift that any person has, and it's the gift of choice. You have a free will. You can make any decision that you want. You can decide for yourself whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. Whether you follow God or you don't follow God, it's completely up to you. Somebody say, well, worship is powerful. Yeah, but you still have to choose it. Prayer is powerful, but you still have to choose it. It's all about choice. So what is evil? Evil is a good gift gone wrong. Follow me. God doesn't allow things to happen. We choose them. So, God doesn't allow an abortion to happen. The young girl decides, chooses to abort the baby. You say, well, God can stop it. No, he can't. Because if he stopped choice, he would end love. So he gives everybody the ability to choose. You, all of us have the ability to choose. Evil is just simply a good gift gone wrong. The teenager walks into the high school and shoots it up. He chose to do that. Why did God do you allow that? Because he gave him a choice. And he can't stop choice or else he'll end love. Because without choice, love doesn't exist. Romans 1.28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never have done. So why would God send people to hell? He doesn't send any, anybody to hell. Let me say it this way. People don't pick hell, they reject God. They don't pick hell, they reject God. So how do you pick heaven? Put your faith in God, put your faith in Jesus. 
How do you pick heaven? Live your life for him. See, choosing God, choosing heaven doesn't mean I pray a prayer and then it's all done. No, it begins there. That's why, the, that's why God calls it being born again. When you were a baby, you didn't know how to walk. You didn't know how to talk. And so when you're born again, you don't know how to walk. There's so much grace. God helps you. You fall down. He picks you up. You let go. He goes, I'm right here for you. And then over time and over time and over time, we learn how to walk and we learn how to run. You don't ever unlearn that. Just like you can't unfaith. You can walk away from God for sure. But it's not once saved, always saved. That's not how it works. I know I may be shocking you. And just because you come to church doesn't make you assured into getting to heaven. You gotta make sure you have faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. And that your life exemplifies that faith. That people can see your life. Not when you're first born, no. I'm talking about five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road. So I want you to stand with me and I wanna ask you a question before we go home, go to brunch or whatever we're gonna do comes from Deuteronomy 30 and it's a powerful way to end this today Joshua says I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you so that's what I'm doing today my job as a pastor is to give you the full counsel of God to help you understand all of what's happening in your world the best that I can in the few minutes that you give me on a Sunday morning. So I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And here's my encouragement, my exhortation, choose life. Choose it. It's up to you. I can't choose it for you. Your mom can't choose it for you. You have to choose. You have to make a conscious decision to choose life. Why? That both you and your descendants may live. In other words, your decision affects everybody that follows you and your family. So Father, we come before you today and we hear this clarion call, God, to make a decision. So I ask you, if you're watching online or you're here in this auditorium today, have you chose life? Have you picked Jesus? Have you chose Jesus? Put your faith in Jesus. Today we've seen a glimpse of heaven. We've seen a glimpse of hell. Look, you're not picking hell. You're rejecting God if you choose not to follow him. So my challenge to you is choose life. Choose life. If you're here today and you wanna make that decision, you wanna make that choice, I wanna be assured of heaven. I wanna be assured of a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God. So today I give my life to him. I, I don't know all that it means, God, but I'm gonna take a step of faith. That's what it requires, faith. I don't understand it all. That's why you gotta have some faith. I don't get it all. I don't understand all the Bible. Hey, listen, I don't either, 
but I got some faith. Take a step of faith today. If you're here today, and maybe you've never taken that step before, I'm gonna count to three in just a second. I want you to raise your hand. If you're here today and you know that you're not following him, your life actually is rejecting God, I wanna pray for you. Don't leave this place without being assured that you've made a shift in your life, a change of choice. I wanna get right with you, God. Help me by the grace of God to get out of this cycle of sin that I've been living in. I wanna pray for you too. If you're watching online, you can pray today right there with the people that are there online. They wanna, they wanna help you, guide you. So I wanna pray. When I count to three, that's you. I wanna make that choice today for the first time or I wanna rededicate my life. You ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand. You wanna choose heaven today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over the room. Let's pray this prayer out loud. Church, join with them as they make this choice, this declaration of their life. The Bible says in Romans Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Let's make that confession all together. Church, say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Thank you for the gift of righteousness that I receive today. Thank you for your grace, God, that I receive today. I believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I start a brand new life. I am born again today in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, Amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap.